We, we live in a world today that uh, not only kind of communicates that everything, every idea, every person is good. That's, that's not actually new. That's, that's the burden and the drive of our heart to, to tell ourselves that we're good, that we're okay, that there's no problem. But, but I think maybe what's changed a little bit is now it's not just that, that I'm good, but you, you have to celebrate however I define that. You have to celebrate it. You have to applaud it. You, you, you have to be respectful of it. As, as a matter of fact, in that, we've kind of arrived at a place where it, you sound mean to say something is wrong. And, and the goal here is not that we, hey, we need to leave out here and tell everybody they're wrong. No, that, that's not the goal. But you think about it, there's, there's places where it's right and appropriate to say, hey, hey, this is wrong. And that almost sounds mean today. But are we okay? Are, are we good? H- how is that, how's that measured? You know, I kind of cut to the chase here today because we could, we could actually spend the rest of the day talking about our different ideas and definitions of good and why this person or group thinks they're good or why this idea thinks it's good. But, but what I would suggest is that the measurement for good is the Ten Commandments. Now, I realize that doesn't work for everybody in the world, right? There's going to be people who are going to say, that, that, that's not my religious writings, that's not my holy writings, that's not my God. There, there's going to be some who say, I have no God at all, and I don't need your God telling me what he thinks, right? But we in here, we, we believe in the Ten Commandments, right? Right? We'll try that again. The choir believes in the Ten Commandments, praise the Lord. When we say we believe in that, what we're saying is, I believe my life can, should, rightly be measured against the Ten Commandments. Now, we wouldn't use all of those if we were trying to help maybe somebody measure goodness that doesn't believe in God. We believe in God. And so we would say, yes, those first four commands that are more about this direction... That they're more about measuring my goodness as it relates to God. You know, those, those four commands that say, I believe in the one true God. There is a God, the one true God, and I celebrate, I worship that one true God. I, I do not do, we will not do anything that tries to bring him down into a physical image, a physical idea. Because believe it or not, while it might make it easier for us to grasp him, it limits him. And that doesn't serve our soul to have a limited God, a, a God we can bring down and, and encapsulate. So we're not going to try to capture him in a, in a physical form. We're going to honor and respect his name. Gosh, if, if we think that's all that is, is we don't use a curse word. It's not just not using a curse word. It is honoring all that is behind that name, the very character of God. It is having a day that we not only rest in Him, but that rest becomes our witness. That rest becomes our worship. Now see, you and I will use those four ideas to measure ourselves. Am I a, am I a good person? In light of the truth that there is a God, am I a good person in light of those four commands? But... Not, not everybody's going to accept those four commands. I, I believe we can use the next six. 
And that all people can be measured by that. Because in these next six, we have really not just commands from the Lord, but almost really universal ideas that have transcended time and people groups. We've all said, hey, this is the way life best works. It it works best when we honor parents. And that's really a stepping stone to honoring, to respecting all authority. Not because all authority or parents are right. Not because they're always honorable. It's just how things best work at the end of the day. There's not a, I, I, I get it, sometimes they so greatly do not deserve it. But there's just not actually another option that works. We honor and respect authority. We, we don't murder. Gosh, if we can get beyond these commands and, and just as an idea of an action that we check off. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. And, and, and kind of let the scriptures unwrap them and see all that's behind them. Because all of these things are much more about our heart than they are in action. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? You see, when, when we say we don't murder, the, the, the opposite of that is we highly value life. That means we protect it. We celebrate it. We honor it. We respect it. Do you realize all the commands that come out of the great command, do not murder? We don't gossip. Because that devalues somebody, doesn't it? We don't gossip. We don't slander. We don't cheat people. We don't do any... I'm going to come over here and get this person to join me in really hating that person. No, we, we don't do that. Because we so highly value life. We don't murder. We don't, we don't commit adultery. Here again... It'd be, it'd be nice if we could just boil that, uh, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't have sex with another person's mate. Well, yeah, obviously it means that, but there's so much more than that. It means I highly respect marriage. I highly respect pure and faithful love. And that's not just something I do as an adult. Man, the moment we realize we're sexual beings, 8, 12, 13 years old, That's when that command begins to come to life in our lives. How we value pure and faithful love. We don't steal. You know why we don't steal? Because we value life. We we value and we respect others. So I'm not going to take their time. I'm not going to take their money. I'm not going to take their stuff. I'm not going to take their ideas. Why? Because I value and respect them as a person and what belongs to them. We don't lie. It works to lie sometimes, doesn't it? We don't all have to nod, but that's why we lie. But you see, because I don't murder, because I highly value another person, lying to them, deceiving them, that doesn't value them, does it? That that doesn't value human life to to lie and to deceive. So we're we're not going to lie. We're not going to covet. Why? Because we so highly value life. Because we so highly value life, we're not going to get stuck just focused on what I don't have and what you do have. Boy, I tell you, as you let the scriptures unwrap these, you realize there's so much more here than just an activity that I have or have not done. There's a heart issue. And when you realize that what these things measure is my heart, how are you measuring up right now? Are you a good person? Remember, that's the goal. These things kind of define for us what, what good is. So am I? Are you good? No. 
We're not. We, we can't even count how many times we've broken these commands. Sometimes on the outside. Many times on the inside. We can't even keep up with the, well, what's the opposite of good? The evil that just constantly lives and festers in, inside of our heart. Listen, you don't have to be a religious person, a God believer to say, you know, I, I think valuing life and valuing truth and valuing others that's just a better way. That, that's a good way. And any way that runs contrary to that is, is not good, right? C.S. Lewis said, do you want to know how bad you are? Work really hard this week at being good. I mean, really get focused. I am going to be the definition of good inside now. And by the end of the week, you'll know how really rotten you are. We're not good. We're not okay. That statement doesn't mean you can't do a, something good. You can. I'm confident many of us, maybe every one of us in this room watching online, you, you've done something good this week. You, you blessed, you served, you enriched, you helped another person. Evil people, wicked people can do a good thing. You know, I would imagine most of us in this room do not make up the very worst of our society. The very worst of humanity. That's good news, isn't it? You know, none of us wants to have a brush with the worst people on the planet, do we? But shouldn't we be just a little thankful for them? Because without them, we have nobody to point to and say, I'm better than that. You know, honestly, why we talk Ten Commandments or, or any other measure, probably the single most universal measure of how we tell ourselves that we're good is by pointing to somebody worse than us. I'm good because I'm not like them. I'm good because I'm not like that person on TV. But folks, honestly, is that, is that the standard we're trying to attain to? That we find the worst person on the news, the worst person on the planet, and we're just an inch better than them? That's not good. We're, we're nothing like good. Do you, you understand the Ten Commandments are not ten rules to post on a wall? The, the Ten Commandments are not ten rules that God keeps. No, God is the Ten Commandments. What's God like and how do I know Him and love Him and relate with Him? The Ten Commandments tell me that. Do, do you hear what I just said? They're not rules to keep. They're ten ways of knowing how I love God. Because God, folks, God doesn't just uh, tell the truth. He is the truth. God isn't just going to not cheat on you. He is pure and faithful love. So do you realize every time I'm running kind of astray of one of these rules, I'm basically a living contradiction to what God is. I'm defying who He is. I'm fighting who He is. We're not good. We're not okay. Gosh, the truth of the matter is, it's not just that we don't perfectly keep these laws. We'll make a God out of anything. And we've all done it. Humanity's done it. We have made gods out of everything on this planet. And when we do look up, when we do acknowledge the one true God for a moment, it's usually to try to enslave them. Enslave them to our happiness, our, our agenda, our questions. 
We lie, we steal, we cheat, we envy almost as a way of life. We are the exact opposite of God and he's good. What's that make us? We're evil, we're wicked, and we're ugly. And yet God loves you. And if I ignore the wicked, the evil, and the ugly in me, if I try to just live in this thought that I don't need a cross, I lose the one place I've been most loved. In my darkness, in my evil, in my wickedness, God loved me. God loved you. Listen to how God describes this love. Now, I'll tell you, God loves you and I most clearly through the person of Jesus Christ, through his own son. And 700 years before you and I are introduced to the person of Jesus Christ, Isaiah the prophet writes about Jesus, about how God is going to show that love. Because, you know, like us, we say, I love you and We don't really know what that means all the time. How much? How would that be proved? But when God says, I love you, he shows it with his action. God moves into your life and into my life to resolve this ugliness, to resolve this wrong, to resolve why he should not. Listen to this. God moves to resolve why he should not relate with us. And he does that through his son. Isaiah prophesies about that 700 years before. Isaiah 53. Let me begin reading in verse verse 3. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. That's Jesus. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. You know the religious leaders did that. But his best friends did that also. And the religious leaders and his best friends and everything in between, that all just represents you and me. We turned our our backs on him. We we didn't care that he was despised. Verse 4, yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that, that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But no, he was pierced. The nails went into his, into his wrist and into his feet. The, the spear went into his side for our sins. He was crushed under the weight of our murderous thoughts, our lustful thoughts, our greed, our selfishness, our lies, all weighed on him and crushed him on the cross. He was crushed for me. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. You know, I've, I've struggled with that line a lot. You know, I think if, if you have been, we haven't all been. But if you were raised as kind of a, you know, a good church religious person. You, and it says, you know, we've all left God's path. I think probably my first response is, no, I haven't. No, I've always, I've always believed, always gone to church. I know the Ten Commandments. I haven't left God's path. Well, no, wait a minute. Okay, if God's path is truth, what does that make every single lie? A place where you left God's path. Let me ask you a question this morning. You don't have to answer it out loud. Can you even count how many times you left God's path on one command? One expression of who he is? We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him 
every single lie. It says here, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Every single lie was laid on him. Folks, actually, my, my goal this morning is, is not to tell you that you're wicked and evil and, and ugly. Because that's not nice. Boy, we're so shaped by that, aren't we? That's, that's not nice. It is to say that if you and I cannot acknowledge, if we cannot see the ugliness, the vileness, the violence, the wickedness that resides in us, then we don't need the cross. And if I don't need the cross, then I just gave away the one place that I'm loved the very most. He was crushed. Crushed under the weight of your sin, of my sin. That's how Isaiah talked about it. That's how Isaiah talked about the cross 700 years prior. Listen to, listen to Jesus talk about it the night before. He was gathered around a table with his friends, right? We call it the Lord's Supper today. And Jesus said this, talking about the same thing that Isaiah was talking about. He says in Mark chapter 14, verse 17. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve as they were at the table eating. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating here with me will betray me. I've always thought that a strange line. They're all going to betray him. Why is he saying one? Every single one of them. Now, when I say that, I... I get it. (laughs) Okay, he's talking about who? Judas. And no doubt, Judas' betrayal does stand out as unique. It it stands out separate a little bit from what the others did. I mean, he begins the process by where Jesus is turned over to the enemies, and we kind of know what happens the next 24 hours. So I get why he's calling him the betrayer. But, I mean, we're talking about an hour and a half from now. Maybe two hours from now, Peter's going to say, I I don't know who Jesus is. I don't want to know who Jesus is. Let me ask you a question. If you were out in in the concourse and talking to a friend and you overheard somebody use your name. I don't know him. I don't know. I don't want to know her. And you turn around and that's your best friend. How do you feel in that moment? Would you use the word betrayed? The others, they're all going to abandon him in his moment. I mean, would it be fair to say in his moment of greatest need? They all got out of town. It's, I don't want to be around this. I don't want to be here for this. That's your problem. I, hey, each for, each for his own. All of the disciples left. They all ran away. So when we go back to Isaiah 53, and it says they were despised. He was despised and rejected. They all turned away. They didn't care what was happening. Well, yeah, it's easy for you and I to, to watch the passion or read the scriptures and say, oh, the religious leaders. His best friends ran away. His best friends left him there alone. Are you and I better than his best friends? Have, have we done something to distinguish how much better we treat Jesus than Peter, James, and John? Which one of, one of you will betray me tonight? Greatly distressed. Each one asked in turn, am I the one? He replied, it's the one of you twelve who's eating from this bowl with me, for the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared. What scriptures? Well, we just read one, didn't we? Isaiah 53. 
Psalm 22 would be another one. Psalm 22, written over 900 years before the time of Christ. Centuries and centuries before crucifixion even existed. And when you read verses in Psalm 22, it doesn't read like it was written 900 years before. It reads like somebody was at the cross writing down the details. I don't, I don't think we trumpet this enough, to be honest with you. I mean, one of the greatest proofs of the Scriptures, one of the greatest proofs of Christianity is the fulfilled prophecy. No, nothing else offers that. Nothing. No other religion, no other philosophy, no other idea offers that. It's all historically provable. But the Scriptures declared He would die for our sins. Verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces. Imagine imagine a loaf of bread. Jesus breaks it in half. He, he begins to hand it out and, and they tear. They tear a piece off, right, for yourself. You put it in your mouth and what did God give his teeth for? To crush. You tear, you rip, it's crushed. This is my body, broken for you. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. My blood's being poured out so you can be forgiven, so that you can know how much God loves you, so that you can live in that love and live there for all eternity. You know, it's interesting, as you and I read that account, we have the advantage of of looking back on history, don't we? I mean, we we know what's going on here. I mean, we, we we have the advantage of, okay, okay, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, that's to Jesus. And, and when Jesus is saying, my body, I've heard this, I know this, we know what's getting ready to happen. We know he's going to be arrested, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be spit on. We, we can fill in all the details of, of despised and rejected. We know that he's going to be scourged. A process that would basically take the, the skin and the underlying muscle from the, the neck and, and down the back and the buttocks and, and through the legs and just remove it from the bone. And then that back would be placed onto a cross and he would be pierced, nailed to it. We, we, we know what that all looks like. Hey, and we know that's not the end of the story, right? Praise the Lord. He's going to rise again. He whoops, he whoops sin and death and hell for you. He has victory for you and for me. We know all this when we read it. Can you imagine though the disciples, just that first moment those words were uttered. And they maybe can't connect all the dots. Wait a minute, Isaiah 53, that was real? Wait a minute, it's in him? What do you mean you're going to be crushed? What, what are you saying about this cup? What, Why? course they would see within hours wouldn't they they would see the violence the horror they would see the injustice the injustice being committed against the son of God why so that God could justly say I love you when your sins are forgiven it's not because you caught God in a good mood When your sins are forgiven, it's not because he ignored the standard of good and right. Because good and right is good and right. 
Where is it okay to be, wrong, to be okay with wrong? There's a standard. By His blood, He is able to say, I love you. That sin was paid for. And I can't appreciate that. I can't appreciate how greatly and deeply I've been loved if I'm buying into the lie that I'm okay just as I am. I'm good. Any way I choose to live is good. Any, any way I want to live is good. Maybe for a moment, but not for eternity. Not really in light of others. Not really in light of your own soul. Folks, the goal today is not that you see you're vile and wicked and ugly and evil. It's that you see how much you're loved. And you can't see that unless you understand what God was doing when he said, I love you. And sent his son. Our choir and orchestra is going to sing a song to us right now on the wonder of the cross. Oh, It might feel good to tell myself I'm good, but I lose the wonder of the cross when I do that. They're going to sing to us on the wonder of the cross. And and as they do, I want to encourage you just to to be still, to be silent. And I I use the word silent. Obviously, their, their song is going to fill the room. But let's just use this song for a moment to kind of meditate and to think on what God has done for us. And, and, and I hope this kind of leads us to a new and a fresh and awareness of, of how wonderful it is to love God. How wonderful it is to be in awe of Him. How wonderful it is to praise Him. And we most rightly do that when we realize the position from which we've been saved. You know, and as we, as we think on that, as we meditate how good God is, how wonderful the cross is, as we come here to celebrate this love... You know, that should also lead to a time of confession, right? Many of us in here, we've accepted God's love and forgiveness in our lives, but, but we've gone on to live and act in ways that don't really celebrate that love, haven't we? I, I, I became a believer in 1982. I would love to tell you the last time I lied was 1981. It's not even close to the truth. It's not even close to the truth for you either. So if I'm going to come here and celebrate how wonderfully he's loved me and what that means to me, then I need to confess all those places this past week, this past month, this year, that I'm not really living in a way that shows how much I appreciate what that love means to me, right? So we have time, kind of a time of, of praise and worship. Maybe it's the choir singing. I, I'm going to get up. I won't say anything. And we'll, we'll, the deacons and I will begin to hand the elements out. And maybe we use that time as kind of part two of the prayer where we confess those sins, those things that don't show what God's love means to us. So a time of praise and thanksgiving, a time of, of confession And man, folks, let's just pray that we're just so blown away by God's love, we can't ever live the same again. I I think that's why he called us here to remember, right? So that when I think on that love, I can't live the way I used to. I just can't live the way I used to.